It's Mark and Pete. This week's colourful conversation with Mark and Pete is Living Below the Poverty Line. The United Kingdom has several anti-poverty strategies and has often focused on specific groups, for example, children or pensioners. But what are the root causes of poverty? How do we even measure the levels of poverty? What is abject poverty to some people or maybe standard living to others? So, for example, it is noted that one in five people are living below the poverty line today in the United Kingdom. However, new data released by the Department of Work and Pensions show that the number of people living in the United Kingdom in relative poverty has actually risen over the past two years. There are now 10.6 million people in relative poverty, which is actually up from the 9.7 million in 2012. In 2014, another report by the Institute for Fiscal Studies said that 23.2% of Britons are now in relative poverty. Uh, That is the highest point since 2001. So here we are in 2015. Uh, With me today is Pete. Uh, Pete, what is poverty and why are we becoming poorer? Well, to me, poverty is when you don't have enough income or access to things such as food and water and a roof over your head, by which I mean enough shelter such that you can sleep safely through the night. And, you know, to me, that's basic definition of poverty is when you just don't have those things, either through too low an income or you don't have access to them for other reasons, maybe uh, due to uh, people being prejudiced against you and not selling to you and that sort of thing. So poverty to me is just not having the basic requirements for existence. Yes, but it does seem that uh, the statistics show that Britain in particular seems to be at a much growing and wider divide than we were in the past. So essentially that the poor are becoming poorer and the rich are becoming richer. And although you say that uh, that it's possible that uh, people are finding that times are tough because job situation may be vulnerable and perhaps that people uh, are finding it difficult to meet uh, the, the general standards of, of living. But Here's a here's a quick uh, poem, which is my take on the matter, which really sort of reflects what I see as the great British divide. Town versus country, the pauper to the crown, the upper class gentry to those lower down, a country cast in contrast from poverty to the rich, the suave tailor made suits to those without a stitch from run of the mill hill to the money made fair. The broke and the bankrupt to the wealthy billionaire. The joy-riding jokers to the jolly jet-setters. From the fine art collector to the downbeat debtor. Primark to Prada, Ford to Ferrari. A half day in Cleethorpes to holidays on safari. Food banks to Harrods, urban graffiti to the times. At the bottom of the ladder, through higher social climbs. Jelly deals to Lobster Thermidor. Kinder egg to Fabergé. For those lucky and privileged, life is just a cabaret. <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought you were going to burst into song there. That's, uh, Nearly. That's interesting. I can if you wish. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, inter- inter- interesting that, um, 
Yeah, there is such a division, isn't there, between rich and poor. Now, I've just recently moved from London, but I think London, along with all the great cities, but it seems particularly pronounced in London, the rich and the poor live right next to each other. You can wander from a place where there's huge, great mansions to where to an area where there's affordable housing and social problems, and it just uh, within... You know, a few yards on the same street, in fact, yes. the way where I used to live. I'll leave listeners to guess which section I lived in. But uh, it's uh, it's interesting that uh, we become um, inured to it, become used to s- such a status of the being rich and the being poor. But, I mean, should there be poor? Shouldn't we be doing something about it? Yes. Well, it's interesting that the UK government have a particular way of defining what they see as poverty in common usage. They've actually come up with a new set of categories. So uh, the way it works is abject um, and absolute poverty, relative poverty and social exclusion. So just to define. So absolute poverty, those are the ones defined as the lack of sufficient resources with which to meet the basic needs. Uh, But relative poverty uh, defines income or resources in relation to the average. uh, And it is concerned, for example, with the absence of the material needs to participate in, say, general accepted daily life. The new category is what they call social exclusion. Now, this is a term coined by the UK government and is basically a shorthand for what can be uh, the areas of individuals who suffer from a combination of, say, um, unemployment, poor skills, low income, poor housing, maybe, or even uh, on crime environments, bad health and family breakdowns. So that's the way that they tend to position it in the UK. But I guess that from from most people's point of view is, well, where do you actually sit? If you men- benchmark yourself in these categories, you then have to say, well, that's still a little bit ephemeral. Does that really mean that I'm either in a relative poverty category or uh, absolute or even social exclusion? It seems a little bit woolly to me. Mm. It does seem a little bit woolly. And uh, the problem I find is if you set what you call the the poverty line uh, too high, uh, then what you're doing is uh, um, reducing your reducing in the eyes of many the severity of the problem uh fair enough uh, social exclusion is a bad thing it should be addressed but um, personally i don't think you should call that poverty i mean you, you should be just be careful with your terms i know poverty can mean lack of anything and uh you know, i'm used to pointing out that the fact that uh, uh, material wealth doesn't necessarily mean you're rich so lack of material wealth in that sense, doesn't mean that you're poor because you can be spiritually rich. Yes. However, when we talk about poverty and we talk about people being poor, usually we mean people who lack material things, things that they need to exist, as I, as I was saying earlier. And so I, I, I think that this um, s- smearing out where the, where the line is, this, um, this wooliness that you referred to, having a grey area, are you, are you poor or not? Uh, means that uh, you can you can argue you can argue that um, uh, we're doing very well when you're not you know you by yeah. not having having a having a real hard line though this means being poor and it really people know that that means that you are poor and that you're struggling to eat enough to survive then then that 
a means that people need to address it, and they'll believe you when there's when you say that there are more people who are poor. Now the problem is, uh, if you uh, increase, if you can increase the poverty line such that there are more people who are poor, uh, then you can decrease it and make the bill less. So yeah. suddenly you can manipulate the data, and it, it's to to me it, it makes the problem more difficult to solve if you're a little bit vague as to what exactly is poor and if you're not fitting in with what people generally mean if you want to deal with things such as social exclusion use different words yes exactly well interestingly enough there is actually a poverty and social exclusion project Mm -hmm. which is actually set up by the government and uh, they do cite some rather alarming statistics, which gives a little bit more context. So they say that, for example, 500,000 children in the UK live in families who cannot afford to feed them properly. Now, that that in itself is a bit worrying. But what they mean by properly, uh, I suspect that that would probably mean that uh, it doesn't provide them with the, the ample and sufficient foods to keep them in a healthy way. Um, they also talk about housing. So uh, apparently 18 million people cannot afford adequate housing today. And it's also seen that 12 million people are too poor to engage in general common social activities. And even to the point where um, five and a half million adults go without essential clothing, which is even more worrying, particularly in times where you have winters and uh, cold uh, people who just simply don't have sufficient clothing to keep themselves warm. But that's all very well about statistics. But why are the this situ? Why is this situation happening? What is actually causing us to become poorer? Mm. Well, uh, this, I'm going to come out with a suggestion here that I think that the whole way of dealing with people, dealing with the poor, with the problem of the poor, is flawed in concept. In in that, uh, what we really need is to have the principle that we, one of the principles that uh, we are Mark and Pete are always talking about, Mark, and that is localism. Uh, the important, the reason why localism is important in so many areas of public life is that when they're done locally. You can assess how well they're being done. You can call people to account if they're doing them uh, wrongly. But also you're aware of the issues and you're more likely to want to help. So, for example, if people are poor uh, within your neighbourhood, as in your next door neighbour is poor, or if people in your family are poor, you've got a connection there. You you have a motivation to do something about it. However, the principle that's often articulated in this in this country uh in britain and if you're listening in america uh, my impression is that much the same uh, attitude prevails but maybe you can uh, correct me in a tweet or two if that's the case i'm sure you will that, but in britain certainly the case that the assumption is the government should be doing something about this you know, why yes. are the poor people why isn't the government doing something about it and i heard um an interesting short speech by the MEP Daniel Hannan in the European Union Parliament uh, only the other day. Uh, I heard it on YouTube. I wasn't in the European Parliament, but the, he he said that uh, giving giving like giving to charity. And he was talking about things giving to charitable projects to help poor people, but in far flung places. And he was saying, well. It, act, it makes you feel better to say that we're going to give money. But if you're in government, what you're actually giving is other people's money because you're 
giving money that's been that's been raised by taxation or in the case of the European Union taken uh, as contributions from countries who have who have themselves raised money by taxation he said it actually feels even better if you put your hand in your own pocket and give yourself um, yeah. and he was actually going and helping people not not simply paying but going and helping people and he uh, he'd taken part in in such a scheme i think with one of the other meps there and i i, I think he he hit on something there in that when we talk when you talk about localism being a good solution if you make it really local so that it's so local it's personal then you'll get you're in a position to help people to see the results of the help that you give and to notice whether it's been effective as yes. soon as it's removed and given to a national government or a a um a city council or a borough council then it's one step removed from you and you can always blame someone else so yeah. people uh, sit through the gaps and get left yes. um and so i, I think that it, changing the whole way we deal with the poor is the only way really to ensure that with the poor are looked after properly properly i mean jesus uh, uh in the bible is quoted to say you will always have the poor with you. So there will always be people who are poor. And I think that that's true. There are always going to be people who are who drop below this line. But our job uh, is to help them and to help them personally. If it was seen as a as a, as a personal responsibility in uh, I just quoting the Bible again, uh, Galatians chapter two, verse 10, the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, Speaking about what the church required of him to do, or required uh, required him to teach others to do as well, uh, he said all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I've been eager to do all along. Remembering the poor is seen as a primary Christian virtue. In the context, that was talking about uh, the one thing that everyone had to do. You know, one ex- uh, yes. Uh, you are in in terms of um, Christian theology, uh, we would say you are saved solely by the grace of God. But then what are you meant to do? Well, about the first thing you are meant to do, you are to remember to do in serving God is to remember the poor. So this is a, a primary concern. So uh, theologians um, and Bible scholars um, are known to say this. Um, some Some people argue with it, but it's often said that God, from studying the Bible, appears to have a bias. He's biased, even though it says he's impartial everywhere. If he does have a bias, it's towards the poor. And okay. so I, 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 and I think that's that that we are to remember the remember the poor. Um, in uh, I, here's one reference. There are many references I could have come up with. Deuteronomy 15 verse 8: Be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And the them in that case is someone among you who is poor. So if I think if we had that principle, uh, then we wouldn't have people who dropped through the uh, the support mechanism that's put in place because they'd be people we knew about and were um, expecting to help. However, I, we can't just change the whole way. Even if we that were the end in view, we couldn't change the whole way that we think the whole way we deal with the poor overnight. So that's not really a realistic solution. Certainly not in the short term, maybe in the long term or the extra long term, but certainly not in the short term. So the question is, what do we do about it now? What is the right way 
exactly. to deal with poverty, uh, acknowledging the situation that we have at the moment. Yes. And it's interesting that from the point of view that you mentioned about localism, I mean, this is quite important because in order to understand the issues, uh, we have to also understand what's on our doorstep. Uh, it isn't uh, a simple case of, uh, of just looking at money, for example. We also have to look at poverty in a wider scale. For example, as we've said, um, we have to look at uh, the effects of, uh, of housing. Education is another uh, point, the point of culture. Um, but just sort of looking at it on a larger scale. So this is beyond United Kingdom. So the United Nations, the UN, back in 2000, had a particular goal. And for this particular 21st century, the aim was to halve the global proportion of absolute poor people by 2015. Well, here we are in 2015. And at the time, although they had a particular target, they had a particular uh, measure, and that was says anyone living on an income of less than one dollar a day. Well, interestingly, they've actually upped that figure, and the criterion has been moved upwards in response to new data about prices and purchasing mm-hmm. power to one dollar twenty-five. So essentially, what they've actually assessed is that 1.2 billion people on this planet uh, still live below the 1.25 uh, threshold. Mm. That's quite interesting. Mm. Yes, I mean, that's quite a low amount, of course. Um, that's US dollars, $1.25 a day, exactly. is a low amount for us living here. Uh, I guess what they're talking about in purchasing power, in some parts of the world, that does buy you enough to live on, I guess. But uh, extreme poverty being that amount, um, it's interesting that I was reading earlier that uh, China has uh, used a different definition, and their definition ends up with uh, the poverty line of of absolute poverty being approximately 99 cents a day. That's uh, at the same time as as this, the United Nations having their level of 125 a day. So why... Chinese poor people are poorer than others. <laughs> now, why is that the case? Well, their reasoning. Um, now, they say this is the Chinese uh, government's line on this. They're saying that they've arrived at this amount by the the calorie intake that this allows. So they're not defining it necessarily um, in terms of uh, the the things that you mentioned, like education etc they're, they're defining how much you get to eat and if you've got enough calories uh, then you're okay so that's a i mean maybe that's a very basic definition doesn't take into account what vitamins you're having i suppose but it, it, it's a way of measuring whether you've got enough to eat and they set it uh, set it lower but that was an increase they increased it in um uh, 2008 yes um I think that was, yeah, 2008, they increased it. So before they had a, a lower definition. But what they increased was the calorie intake that they expected. Now, that's that's interesting that uh, they should have that definition. And I just mentioned that to say that uh, you, um, in saying that, uh, you've got enough, got just about enough calories to live on. That's not the same definition we're talking about when we say people are in poverty in Britain. Exactly. I know I, know I said sort of glibly, well, people, Poor people in China are poorer, but, you know, they're so poor that they're not even, you know, they're going to die from not having enough food. Whereas in Britain, we're, say, we're going to say you're poor because you're not getting the right mix of, you know, vitamins and protein. You're not having a balanced diet, but you are, you are having enough calories just to stay alive. So 
this is where it becomes difficult because uh, you say, oh, there are, more, there are many poor people in this country. We should stop helping people, for example, in China or other countries in the world because there are so many poor people here. But are their poor people poorer? I mean, it just makes it so difficult to assess. Yes. Well, it, it is. But I mean, take, take, for example, in Britain. And I think it's widely known that we have a welfare state and we have had um, since the 1940s. And of course, this is something that we as, as the generations following that period have, have grown up with. But in recent times, due to the economy, that the social welfare has, has actually been cut quite dramatically. And often people have cited that the cut in welfare, particularly in Britain I'm talking about, means that they are pushed further into debt, whether that's through the, the lack of money or even through housing problems. And so effectively, this leaves people powerless to challenge incorrect decisions that are made from them because they've been effectively nurtured into this society of this welfare state. Yes. Yes. So becoming reliant on on handouts is a problem. And again, you know, I go back to what I was saying earlier, the, uh, the principle that we are Mark and Peter often banging on about localism. If you if you get away from uh, the idea that uh, all the all the problems of poverty are going to be handled by the welfare state, by the state, then you're going to start to take responsibility yourself. Now, people do this already. I'm not saying that people don't care for each other. Of course they do. And there are many voluntary organisations which assist in this, including the churches around the country. But um, there's still the idea that it's not our responsibility personally because we've got this welfare state. And, uh, you know, the welfare state was set up with good intentions. But what it's done is it's taken people's sense of responsibility for the poor away from them and for people who regard themselves as poor you were saying earlier mark about um where we regard ourselves in this spectrum you know are you actually poor if you regard yourself as poor uh do you think that the government is to blame because they're not giving you enough or is yeah. there some responsibility for you to get yourself out of it um yeah now there'd be a mixture of responses to that but there's certainly been a big issue with uh, what you might call um, entitlement syndrome. You know, I'm entitled to live as well as someone who has an excellent job, uh, even though I haven't got a job. And the problem with that, although that seems great and it's being, being uh, true to the principle of equality, it's actually not fair. It, you know, it's unfair that someone who has a great job is not paid is not paid more or doesn't have a better standard of living than someone who is not doing that job. Yes. I mean, whether you could do the job or not, the fact is that you don't have it, and therefore you shouldn't be paid for it. It just it's unfair. Even it it would be equal. And the principles of communism, where you know people are paid um, uh, because of their need or you know uh, uh, a principle other than whether they actually earn it, has been shown to be ineffective in um, producing a, a, um, a, a society which produces wealth, which increases in wealth, which produces goods, which uh, produce wealth, which uh, uh, produces a, a culture in which people are trying to achieve and thus are able to come up with in innovative ways of creating wealth. It just doesn't happen uh, when 
there's always the chance that you can fall back on the state to help you. And the state, in that case, of course, which gains its wealth from its people, gets poorer and it eventually becomes untenable. And that was the problem in the Soviet Union. And with widespread uh, 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 use of, um, of uh, social welfare benefits across the European Union, it, the European Union governments are becoming poorer and poorer yes. um, in terms of the, the money they can spend on their population. I'm not talking about their individual salaries. They appear to be um, going up, but that's a subject for another day. So, um, yep, this, this idea, I, it, it seems uncaring to say, but the welfare state, as we have it set up, has contributed, I believe, to the increase in poverty because it has encouraged an entitlement syndrome, which, not, of course, not all people have. And there are many people who are just struggling and working hard to try and get out of uh, being uh, out of their problems of poverty. Yes, of course, that's true. But just speaking um, across the board generally, uh, if we didn't have this welfare system, this uh, safety net for people, uh, you wouldn't have the same number of people uh, trapped in poverty. But you need yeah. to counter that also, the personal responsibility for the people who are poor, with the personal responsibility of the people who are not poor to help them at an individual level. Because yes. if you don't have both, then it's not going to work. You need both for it to work. Everyone to I, take individual I, I agree about the, the social welfare, and, and I think that that's something that clearly needs to be defined. But taking social welfare aside, one of the other points about poverty uh, has been around work. I take the point that you have to take your initiative. Everybody has to contribute to society. One of the, the challenges, particularly in Britain, and in fact has been debated throughout Europe, has been about the minimum wage because the, the criticism there has been about exploitation, i.e. one of the reasons, particularly in Britain, has been the criticism that the wealthier are getting wealthier because they're exploiting those further down the chain. Now, of course, we, as we know, we've got laws in place, i.e. a framework of system in business, which says that if you are going to contribute a skill, a service, you will be paid a minimum wage. However, with that said, it is a, a challenge where inflation and that being also market forces has meant that people, even though they may be doing a full time job, still on a minimum wage cannot afford the basic household needs and services that they need to, to keep themselves off the poverty line. So uh, that can often be a challenge in itself. Yes, so simply uh, I, what is fair in society, I am even in business as to what you would pay somebody so that they can live a sensible life. I mean, the problem, the problem with the minimum wage, uh, having a minimum wage set is you're uh, undermining the, the free market ideal of being able to have as, as, an, as an employer and employee uh, a contract between the two of you that the two of you work out. So as soon as there's a minimum wage in place, immediately you don't have the freedom uh, to set the rate between the two of you. Um, and when, as soon as this happens, this means that if you can't set a low enough rate for uh, you to be able to afford to employ, employ the worker, then as an, as an employer, you're simply not going to employ them. And so the person yeah. goes from having a job that doesn't pay enough to not having a job, or they never get it in the first place. And this, um, 
this is a conundrum. I don't see a solution to it other than not having a minimum wage. Oh, well, actually, what's happening in Britain, uh, interestingly, is that um, in the last <clears throat> 10 years, more people are having more than one job in order to make ends meet. So, for example, somebody who might be, say, um, in their 30s or 40s, um, who has possibly got 20 years experience, if you were to compare where they were, say, 20 years ago, they would have had a full time job and that would have met their needs. Whereas today, a large percentage of people are having to have more than one job to still meet the same standards that they mm. had. 10 or 20 years ago. Yes, yes, I, I, um, yeah, I, I accept that those statistics are there, but, um, I believe that the evidence, uh, if you, the evidence of, of, uh, employment, looking at employment statistics, uh, over the, the past few years shows that actually increasing the minimum wage, uh, it decreases employment of low skilled or, um, or workers with low uh, with low pay it uh, yes. they the numbers of people actually employed is decreased so although it does mean that in poor times people will have to take more than one job yeah, yeah that that's a problem but if you increase the minimum wage that means all all jobs the number of jobs available will reduce and so less people are employed at all so I th the problem is not the minimum wage. The problem is the lack of wealth creation. You know, it, yes. the problem is one of encouraging wealth creation by these uh, entrepreneurs and in, in, in enforcing upon them a minimum wage, especially uh, entrepreneurs setting up uh, new ventures, probably small companies. They're just not going to be able to do it. You may even stop the company actually being formed in the first place. So yes. although it seems harsh, I... I feel that the, the minimum wage itself is a bad policy. Yeah. And yeah. I think that to, to, to follow our um, viewpoint on localism, our, our, our solution very much is to invest in the, the local community, to encourage small and medium sized uh, companies and even large companies uh, to nurture the talent that's in those local communities, because in turn, that would um, prosper um, for those people in a given community, it would encourage people to take employment. In turn, that would give uh, and spur effectively uh, a better um, society for people. People can afford then uh, to feed themselves, to get off the poverty line, to be able to uh, get into housing, better housing and take more control. Whereas at the moment, there are a large number of people who are falling below that that what I'll call that common line where they cannot anymore fend for themselves and they're either living on the streets or unfortunately they're just perishing. Yes, I, I mean, I, I think that's right, that, um, that if companies were to source and employ locally, they would have a great benefit because uh, as they are regarded as an employer for the community, uh, people will want to support them. You know, it works both ways. And in having a, a culture of people who love to work for that company, you know, you have a ready pool of unskilled labour at least. Uh, sure, for many professionals, you're going to have, have to go um, further afield. But as locally as possible, if you can source people and uh, resources in that way, then uh, you're going to benefit both the company and the local economy and 
the society in which the company is placed. Whereas if you, uh, as many companies in Britain, uh, speaking of my experience in Britain here, I, I don't know what it's like in the US and other countries, but in Britain certainly there's a trend for companies to say that they contribute to society by giving money that isn't theirs. For example, you go into a supermarket and they sometimes will say, would you like to contribute an, uh, some of your shopping to these poor people, then they go and give your shopping to those poor people yes, and then say that they've done it. Um, and various sort of initiatives like that, which can then be so to say, used to say it's a caring company. Well, yes. they'd be better off simply being part of the economy in that local area and employing people and thus allowing them to get out of the, the, the poverty trap by working their way out of it rather yes. than um, giving money, which, as I say, certainly in that scheme that I just talked about, uh, isn't, doesn't belong to the company in the first place. Yes. And interestingly, on that point is that uh, there is a growing number of uh, food banks, which uh, as a charitable cause is a worthy one, but is not a sustainable solution to your point, which is that we need to take uh, ownership. We need to have that localism. We need to have that investment. So with that in mind, I'll open it up to the listeners and ask them, you know, where do you see your country? Uh, do you believe that the uh, great divide is there in your nation? Do you believe that we are now uh, seeing more people living below the poverty line? We welcome your views. So join us again next time for more colourful conversations with Mark and Pete. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.